everyone, and welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your bi-weekly podcast where this queer, questioning, and questionable quartet unpack topics at the top of our minds through the lens of anxiety, depression, and everything in between. Tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different. You'll hear me say that a few times. Um, and consider this your trigger warning, because tonight we're talking about sexual assault, and we are talking about rape, um, specifically as it relates to the allegations against Matt Gates, Roger Stone, and Joel Greenberg, um, as well as um, my interview with Emily Andrews, who's a licensed professional counselor and trauma specialist about AOC's admission of being a survivor of sexual assault. Um, this topic is going to be heavy. This topic is going to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, if you can't listen, totally understand. Um, all of us are here to listen in all of our DMs at any time. Just as we finished recording Monday's episode, um, a story broke about Congressman Matt Gates, Joel Greenberg, and Roger Stone. And that story broke about an hour ago, but we thought that it tied in well with this story. If you're not familiar um, with Joel Greenberg or Matt Gates or Roger Stone, um, we'll do a quick kind of overview of who each of them are right now. Um, so Roger Stone is probably one of the first people who is the most notable of these three. He is a, a Republican operative, Republican strategist. Um, he also, you know, is in charge and responsible for um, a lot of the corruption um, that we've seen in the Republican Party. He was involved in um, the Florida recount. He's been involved in sort of defending Donald Trump. Um, he's been involved in, in lots of different things. Matt Gates is a congressman from Florida. And Matt Gates, you may have heard of more recently um, because he's an American lawyer and he's a politician serving in Florida's first district. He's been serving there since 2017. Um, and he really was one of the most famous allies of Donald Trump. Kind of looks like Don Jr., to be honest. He is 38 years old. He's one of kind of the rise, was one of the rising stars of the Republican Party. Um, but he has recently been um, accused of sexual assault and rape of minors, um, specifically um, paying um, for, for sex with minors. Um, so he's at the center of a lot of controversy. Um, Joel Greenberg is the third person in this story. And um, Joel Greenberg is sort of a, a link between what's going on um, with Matt Gates and Roger Stone. Um, he is a tax collector um, in Seminole County, Florida. Um, and then in 2020, towards the end of 2020, he was arrested and charged with federal offenses, 33 criminal counts of theft, stalking, sex trafficking, cryptocurrency fraud, and a small business administration loan fraud. So there's a lot to talk about right now. Um, and obviously this story is sort of actively going on right now. Um, but the one thing that happened is that Joel Greenberg said in a letter obtained by the Daily Beast that Matt Gates paid for sex with a minor for a 17 year old. Gates right now is currently under federal criminal investigation over whether he broke those sex trafficking laws. Um, and this letter is really kind of um, like a bomb, a bombshell letter. Um, so in the letter, there's a lot of things that he writes. It's a letter from Joel Greenberg 
to Roger Stone. It talks about on more than one occasion, Matt Gates was involved in sexual activities with several other girls, um, specifically, you know, Venmoing $900 with this girl's nickname um, in the Venmo transaction. Um, and the Daily Beast believes that they can link back 150 Venmo and Cash App transactions to these claims. This is pretty wild. Um, the Justice Department has been investigating Matt Gates for over a year um, for the sex trafficking laws, for engaging in sexual relationship with a minor. Um, and this letter, as it appears right now, as we're sort of first looking at it, is really the first evidence of something really large going on here. Um, it would appear that Joel Greenberg was trying to pay Roger Stone to get a presidential pardon for $250,000 during the last three months of the Trump administration. So again, there's a lot to unpack here. By the time that we release this episode, there will probably be more information out there and available. So definitely, if this is the first time you're hearing this, check up on what is kind of current. But um, I want to go to our quartet here. Andrew, what are you drinking? And what's your reaction to this story? <laughs> I I feel like this is not an appropriate beer anymore. I cracked this before we started to record. This is a beer from Flying Monkey Craft Brewery called Juicy Ass. <laughs> and it's plump and unfiltered, just like all of us. Dear God. Dear God. It's tasty, though. That Juicy Ass is tasty. Mine is also inappropriate. Um, mine is called Stacy's Mom, a Citra India Pale Ale. Classic. <laughs> That's a classic from a Philadelphia brewery, though. They're racist. <laughs> do we have to do an episode on Evil Genius? <laughs> Wait, did you not hear that? No. No. He like pushed back on their employees for like supporting Black Lives Matter. No, we can't ago. get into this right now. We're gonna have to visit. We're this gonna at some move point. on, and I'll <laughs> we're gonna move on, and I'll dump out the beer. But keep it don't no, keep it don't bleep it. it. So don't don't waste your money that you already spent. Um, I am drinking a Cabernet from Josh Sellers. We love we love a good Josh. I'm drinking water because it's just as tasty as a Republican. Oh, I thought it was because you were a plant. That too. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go with that. So, um, Andrew, you've hated Matt Gates for a while. What's been your reaction to this news? There's a certain level of catharsis that goes along with this because the actions he took and the people he has harmed. That is horrible. But he's one of these rising stars of the Republican Party. Um, he, you know, he's a younger member of Congress. He's under 40. And he really came to prominence in, in 2017, 2018 as this huge Trump sycophant. Like he really hitched himself to the Trump wagon. And he wasn't one of the like the Q supporter type people, although he kind of like danced around that. But he was certainly one of those people that was very loud on social media and was sort of like the young sort of millennial voice of the Republican Party, sort of like a kind of a counterpart to AOC in a way who we're going to talk about uh, later in the episode in the interview. It's horrible that other people have to be drugged down in his shit, but somebody this horrible is going to drag people down in in his shit. And it seems like this little cadre of these frat bro dudes were up to some shit, um, and everybody loves bringing up 
the legitimate connections of people like Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein. But these guys were doing their own sort of Jeffrey Epstein sort of thing down in Florida and just doing it terribly. And there's pictures of all three of them, Greenberg, Gates, and Stone, as far back as 2017 together. So who knows what else Stone was up to. Um, at the same time that he had Trump's ear and he was a major player in the administration. I mean, this is, again, this sort of connection that we see with the Trump administration across the board where there's all this connection to all these people just out there like just gleefully doing crime. Like they're just having a good old time, just fucking it's crime time all the time with the Trump administration and we're still fucking dealing with this shit. And he was, Matt Gates was one of my packet ups a couple of weeks ago, and now he's really one of the pack-it-ups because uh, I guess the only redeeming factor is they're so fucking bad at crime that they fucking write it all down in a letter and send it to each other and then screenshot all their text messages and save them. Like, how fucking stupid... You have to be fucking stupid to do any of these crimes in the first place, but even more fucking stupid to document it. Like, I, I cannot wait for all of these guys to burn. And I hope, I hope that they follow the threads and find out where it leads from these three. What we don't want to have happen is that these guys... Uh, these guys get burned to the ground and no one else gets burned with them because there's no way that this was happening in a bubble. And that's exactly it. And that's why it's so frustrating. And like, even as you're talking, I'm just kind of scrolling on Twitter to look at, you know, the types of things that Matt Gates has said about AOC has said about women and he's a pig. (laughs) Like, Like he's, he's just a pig. Like the story that came out a couple weeks ago about him ranking, you know, the women in Congress and and the people that he would hook up with and all the staffers, like what a not just a criminal, not just a rapist, not just a person who has actively harmed other people. Also a complete fucking douchebag, you know, like just the worst bottom of the barrel scum of the earth, human beings. Erica, what about you? What's your reaction to this? So uh, what I'll say is the reason why they acted so stupidly is because there aren't a lot of examples of men with their power being held responsible. Um, Worst case scenario so far is when you lose your job. So I can... I can understand why they did the things that they did because they genuinely thought that it didn't matter. Things were going to turn out in their favor. The justice system was going to support them. So I'm not saying that I agree with it. I mean, I agree that they are as stupid as they are, but I, I get why they did what they did. And I get the mindset that they were in when they did it. Yeah. I mean, but it's also like, if they're saying this was 2017, right. Was that when Paul, or, or do we know? Yeah. yeah. Like that's yeah. not that long ago. And that was like in the thick, I want to say of like the Me Too movement. And like, so I agree with you, Erica. I think that the, I'm not saying the Me Too movement has been the complete and utter absolve of all, everyone gets charged with whatever they deserve to be charged with. Cause that's not the case, but it did shine a light on the victims and on, and on men that do this, but it's kind of crazy that he was, they were still just like actively doing this during a, such a time where there was so much people so worried about getting canceled and worried about getting, you know, being charged for that. But I agree that there's not enough of it. So it's like, we're going to get away with something. Even if it comes out, we'll still somehow get away with it, I guess. I will say though, the me too movement seemed to be a little bit more Hollywood. For sure. 
So I, I could see why, and you know, Epstein was running around doing the shit that he was doing at the time. So I think it was kind of, they looked at their peers and they looked at, you know, the climate. And I think the read was that, yeah, like, you know, we're not, we're not as bad and they weren't, they're not the worst. And it's, I hate to say this, but like, not to say that they're, they're not good guys at all, but when it comes to the level of depravity within these people, they're not the worst offenders. And I think sometimes people do have this mindset of, okay, well, I'm not doing this on a big scale. It was this one girl and I'm sure they manipulated her to make her feel good. Um, And so I think to them, it was just easy to justify it away. And then I don't, I think even now they don't understand how the seriousness of what they Mm -hmm. did. Maybe they're not at the top of the spectrum, but what elevates it for me is they are members of our government. Matt Gates is an elected representative. Roger Stone was part of the Trump administration, the fucking president of the United States. Yep. And they're also all on the conservative side of the political spectrum, you know, the side that talks about family values and the side mm-hmm. that is more than ready to shit on sex workers at every possible turn. And yet here they are basically turning these these girls into sex workers. And here's Matt Gates running around being a single dude, you know, that's fine. If if you want to have sex with one person, if you want to have sex with 100 people, if you do it properly as a, a consented adult, that's totally fine. To then be a conservative who wants to police other people's sex lives and in your personal life, you're being a degenerate, that level of hypocrisy is what elevates this for me. And that's why this is a big deal. In, in some ways, more of a big deal than some of these other people that were taken down in the Me Too movement or were part of the Me Too movement yeah. um, because they are these elected officials that are trying to police other people's sex lives, basically. I agree. Um, and I think that, like, one of the things that we were kind of talking about before we started recording was, like, how the Republicans are going to respond, right? You know, and, like, what they're going to say and what they're going to do. And I definitely talk about that with Emily, too. Um, you know, but, like, why why do we immediately, you know, or why are we immediately going to look at this woman, you know, and look at this victim and, you know, look at this person who was raped by someone in power? Why, why are we going to immediately dig into kind of her, her background and what they're going to say about her and that she needed this and that she wanted the money and she was using him and, and, you know, he'll go on Tucker Carlson if they even let him back on, if not, he'll be on Infowars or Breitbart immediately. Um, You know, but like, they found out that she was 17, apparently, they're saying, and then they didn't do what they said that people are accusing them of doing. But then after she turned 18, he paid again and then brought her back into the fold. Like, this is systemic. This is organized. They're, they're, they're just idiots because they screenshotted all this stuff. I think, Andrew, as you were alluding to. But, like, I think we need to be really mindful in the conversation over the next couple of days. And I'm sure it's going to already have happened by the time you guys hear this episode, but like of avoiding some of that victim blaming stuff and, and, you know, like fighting against some of that Republican talking points, because you know, they're coming that, that, Oh, he found out she was 17 and then didn't do it. Like Kevin McCarthy, the GOP house leader needs to fucking call on this man to resign. He needs to be expelled from Congress. And that is the bare minimum, the bare minimum 
after that, he can then be charged, prosecuted, and thrown in prison. I don't care what happens to him. Even if there wasn't this issue of the underage girl, and as far as I know right now, there's just one underage girl, and she was she was 17, so of course they're probably going to try to spin it as, well, she was only months away from being 18, and it wasn't that big of a deal, blah, 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 and the rest of the girls were, you know, older, they were over 18. We're still talking about um, people that are in their late 30s, early 40s, um, who are with women who are, uh, girls, really, who are almost 20 years younger than them. And there is a power dynamic there and they're, they're part of the government. They're, they're, um, you know, we don't know anything about these girls. Um, the one thing that Jeffrey Epstein did was he was very, very adept at finding disadvantaged girls, girls who had terrible home lives. Um, they, they needed money. Um, Whatever the case may be, they were vulnerable to this, and he was able to bring them in in a way that he thought was consenting or he was trying to construe as consenting um, because he was giving them what they wanted. But this is still a child. This is There is still a massive power differential where we're talking about a very savvy, very smart billionaire, criminal, mastermind, really, um, and a very, very, very young child. And whether they thought that they were, you know, getting what they thought that they wanted, you know, they're, they're not capable. Like I know I was not capable of making these decisions when I was 17. <laughs> I was a fucking idiot when I was 17. We all said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I still am, but <laughs> like that's, that's the issue here. And even for the young women who were of age, potentially, when they were flying them around, taking them on vacations, paying for sex, like, you know, paying for their college tuition, there is still all that power dynamic. They're still using this money. There's still the question of where the money comes from. And it all goes back to their supposed conservative ideals, like the Republican leadership at the very least, even if there were no crimes committed, which there were definitely crimes committed, even if there <laughs> yeah. were no crimes committed, this goes completely against what conservatives say that they stand for. Mm -hmm. So why would you want these people in your party? And, and at such a prominent place as Matt Gates has been in the party. Yeah. I mean, he spoke at CPAC like yeah. fucking two months ago. He was one of the golden boys. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I think with situations like this, and I'm personally guilty of it, I think all of us are guilty of it. We have to stop using the background of the victim to assess the badness of a situation. Yeah. And personally, I've seen a lot of things come out throughout the years where people are first to say, okay, well, what kind of person was the victim? It's a little bit worse in the eyes of the media when she's a straight A student, uh, an all-star athlete. It does not matter. The situation is what the situation is. I mean, obviously age plays a factor because it goes from, even if there is quote unquote consent, it was still rape mm -hmm. in the eyes of the law, right? I think we need to stop caring so much about all of the factors when it comes to the individual victim and start looking at the factors of the case. And this is a man who knew that he had power and knew that he had status and he leveraged that to start a sexual relationship. And yes, it was with a minor and yes, that makes it worse. I don't care if this minor was a star athlete, you know, 
this picture perfect all-American, or if it was a troubled youth. The end result was he coerced and abused, and that should be it. And I think I've seen a lot. I have turned into Andrew, and I've been looking on conservative subreddit. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And I'm scared, but a lot of people are kind of taught, like there's a lot of conversation about the actual victim. And I like, we cannot be those people. And yes, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard because we are not Reddit trolls. I should say we as in Kirk, Paul and I, (laughs) Um, but it's at the end of the day, when those conversations come up, I do think we have some responsibility to say, hey, I don't care what she was like. This is what happened. And this is why it's a problem. In in a way, the fact that we have almost actually really no details other than ages yeah. about these women is good because there's no way anybody can attack their character except for, you know, the trolls in the comment section um, speculating with no information. But ultimately, you're right, Erica. It does not matter who these girls were. The fact of the matter remains that these were elected officials, you know, like look at their actions. The actions speak louder than words. They were obviously being sneaky motherfuckers. Why do they feel like they have to be sneaky about all this shit? Because they knew it was fucking wrong. I mean, pack it up, Matt. I don't know. Like, what do you say? Lock it up, Matt. What? Lock it up. Lock him up. Lock him up. Everyone involved. And for the record, before before we pop off, we've already popped off. Before we pop off the pod um, or into the interview, I, I know we talked a bit about hypocrisy. I think I don't know how many people who lean not left listen to this, but I'm sure there are some um, who want to sit here and listen to this and try to find excuses for Matt Gates when there is quite a lot of evidence here or and for all these people who will then also sit there and for the past few years acted as if a um a q drop means that hillary clinton is um sex trafficking children in pizza places or whoever else was doing that or any of those type of crazy theories that have literally no backbone to them whatsoever we want to believe that and not believe this you can pack it up as well because you need to start looking at the damn facts and it's just like you can't be blind to everything. You can't just listen to conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy when there's nothing to it. And then things like this are thrown in your face. And I've already been scrolling Twitter through this conversation and seeing the excuses that have been made for these people or that it's that this is the media making this up. It's just like there's literal proof in these situations. And, and this conversation didn't start tonight. It's been going on for a while around this. Yeah. Person. So I think it's just like open your eyes and stop trying to close them. I, a great point. And, and great note to kind of end this segment on. I think that all of us on this podcast and probably most of us either are victims or survivors of sexual assault or know somebody who is. And it's touched all of our lives in so many ways. Like I shared this on my Instagram story, but this experience of, of you know, I'm not ready to say I'm a survivor yet. Like I still feel like a victim. I don't feel like I've fully survived, like kind of what happened to me. Um, But everybody I know, you know, has experienced this or has someone very, very close to them who has. And Emily and I talk about that a lot. So um, it's going to be easy to lean into the Twitter jokes that you probably are seeing right now. It's going to be easy to laugh about this stuff. But God, there's like a human being behind these allegations who's the victim of them. And Matt Gates is the person who did this to her. And just be cautious about what you share, I guess, you know, and how you approach it. 
like they are dumb. They are stupid. They are the world's worst and most obvious criminals, but it's still awful. Um, and this is something that will change the course of these women's lives forever. And as Emily will tell you, even all the work that you do in therapy, sometimes in a moment, reading a story like this, it can bring it all back. That's exactly what happened to AOC during the insurrection. So take care of yourself um, and please use the resources that Emily shares um, if you are struggling with this issue. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Emily. We'll be right back. In this podcast, I talk with Emily, who is a licensed professional counselor and trauma specialist, and we talk about sexual assault. Though Emily works with survivors all the time, I don't. And so some of the questions I ask may seem a little ignorant. Some of them may seem a little bit misguided, and I will probably make mistakes. But this is a raw conversations between two friends, one of whom is an expert, and we're talking about sexual assault, specifically as it relates to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's recent Instagram Live. In that live, AOC shared that she is a survivor of sexual assault. She talks about some of the trauma, the pain, and the PTSD that goes along with it. And she talks about how the insurrection at the Capitol triggered some of those feelings of PTSD. We've never had someone at this level of government and notoriety share information like this before. It's kind of new, I would say, to the American political scene, although as Emily and I will get into, we are positive that it has happened before. Um, but... Um, if somebody did share it, we just might not have been listening to. So um, it's important that while this episode may be a little bit difficult, I hope that you listen to it. Um, and if you are unable to listen to it, um, I will share some resources too for you. Um, you know, and happy to take any DMs and, and talk about it too separately. Um, but just as a quick resource, um, the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. It is free, confidential, and available 24-7. I'm sure also that Emily has a list of resources as well too that she could probably point you to. But um, with that, Emily, I want to welcome you back to Let's Unpack That. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for inviting me on uh, being on this special episode. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't know that excited is the right word. I'm excited to see your face. Um, that is true. I didn't miss just seeing your face. Yeah. Um, and I always welcome chatting with you. Yeah, me too. Um, so I think we didn't really know how to kind of start this episode. Um, and you just kind of said to me when I started asking you questions, I hate this planet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I just thought, discuss, uh, you know, how can we talk about our this? Did I of... say that in reaction to watching the live or was that just a regular thought throughout the day that we were, I was te texting you? No, I, I kind of asked and I was sort of reflecting on the fact that um, this has probably happened, you know, like multiple times. There are probably multiple people. Why are Republicans going to even doubt that this happened? Um, and you said, I hate this planet. <laughs> Sounds pretty on brand for me. Um, that's, I feel like honestly been my, me and my friends go to about anything when we get angry about like people being out partying for COVID, uh, the Republican party in general recently for the last four years, um, just being like, I hate this planet. Uh, I think that that just is good catch all for everything that's been going on since the beginning of 2020. And frankly, since Trump uh, became president in 2016. 
Yeah, it's interesting all those people who said we had Trump derangement syndrome because we were so worried about what was going to happen while he was president. And it, it ended in just such a fantastically awful way with an insurrection that I feel like all of those people who told us that we have this derangement system are also now themselves deranged or they are eating their own words. <laughs> and I just... Yeah, no, most definitely. I feel like it was a good bookend to a terrible presidency. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I'm curious, you know, you watched AOC's live. I saw you mm-hmm. were taking notes to the, the picture you sent me. So I think that um, I had a lot of immediate reactions. And I think the one that I just shared with you is I'm just so continuously impressed by her. Um, and I also, I think this next reaction is unique to my profession and my experience, especially working with people who have experienced sexual violence um, and working with them through reprocessing those traumatic experiences, that I am just very much always in honor of people being authentically themselves and authentically honest in Mm. their experience and inviting people into me as an individual counselor. I'm always honored by them inviting me into that story, into that space. And I think I was overwhelmed um, with respect by just how important it was that she did that on an Instagram live to, I don't know how many Instagram followers she has or how many people were on the live, but a lot of people. When I was just looking now, 5.5 million people have seen it three days later. Like that's incredible. Yeah, I think that's the, that that's a lot of people. Um, and if you think about what we know about sexual assault, so 5.5, I can't really do math, but 5.5 people have watched her Instagram live. That means that about what, almost 1.5 to 2 million people have, per the statistics, one out of four people have experienced uh, sexual assault. So yeah, no, no, no. I know exactly what you're saying. Like I, I was, as you were saying it, I was thinking too, that's not what I thought about when I saw the audience number. I, I, I was like amazed, of course, that that many people have seen it, but I didn't think about it from a survivor's lens. Yeah. I mean, that's over, that's probably, you know, 25% of the people who watch that live have likely experienced sexual assault. Like I, it does make it so important. And that is, I get too, like that kind of, when you talk about, because I'm, I'm so used to watching her be impre- impressive, I guess. Like, I'm so used to watching her, like, break these boundaries mm-hmm. that, like, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Like, what it says to all the other victims, necessarily, you know. But it's, that, was, that was my biggest takeaway. My biggest yeah. takeaway was, and I, I can't remember exactly what I said to you, but my, my initial, one of my initial thoughts, there was a lot. But I was, I think I just said to you, this was so important. This mm-hmm. is so important that she said this. And I also think that it really illustrates the fact that she had said and was so AOC is incredibly vulnerable all the time, but when she becomes vulnerable and like becomes emotional about her vulnerability, I think that that's a rarity that we see. And what I mean by that, like she became, you know, she became a little tearful when talking about, you know, family members and friends, I may be talking about something that you don't know about me. And so I think that that, I think that that was a powerful statement and for her to even feel like she had to say that 
to and and she said I can't remember exactly what it was but it, it, she was saying you know it's not because I wanted to hide anything or because I felt shame it was just because it's a part of my life I don't talk about that often and yeah I feel like- yeah she sort of apologized to her family and friends of I'm sorry you might be about to find you you might you're, you're probably about to find new information out about me you know and and that you're sort of like whoa you know like she she's really leaning into that vulnerability in that moment. And every single person that I've worked with who has experienced trauma, they, they feel that they feel that, um, you know, you may find something out about me or, or maybe that comes from a place of maybe someone finds out later about an experience that they had. And maybe they've experienced a family member or a friend be like, why didn't you tell me? And not in an accusatory way, but in a way that is, um, I think that it just gives you an inside look into the struggle that is being open um, and being open about sexual assault specifically or a traumatic experience and how you integrate that into your life moving forward. And I think that it was just incredibly powerful and poignant about how knowing how much of a public figure she is and that she was embracing her identity as a victim of sexual assault was just, I think it just spoke volumes. Yeah, you you also use the phrase um, that people shouldn't be reduced by, or reduced to, excuse me, reduced to what happened to them. Like AOC is not AOC, the the survivor of sexual assault. That that is part of her, right? And we'll we'll know that about her now moving forward. But I just thought that the way that you said that of like like, like people shouldn't be reduced to what happened to them because right that's sometimes like what you hear like if if a um, you know, a woman had a bad sexual experience or a woman was raped, you, you hear someone say like, is that the girl that was, you know, and, and I've heard, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I've probably said that in my past, but I've, I've definitely heard other people say it. I'm, I'm curious, like, is that something that you find common with your clients that people do feel reduced to what happened to them? Is that like something that you work on with them or, or, or where does kind of that comment come from? I think that for individuals and especially a lot of people that I work with in therapy, your identity is like a large part of why people are maybe struggling with something. And I think that whether that identity has been pushed onto them by the media or by um, other individuals, I think that there is, there, it was incredibly, I made that statement about her not being reduced to because you are, and this is just like my frame of being trained as a mental health counselor, but, you know, I am a person with schizophrenia. I'm not a schizophrenic. I am a person living with mental illness. Like I am not my mental illness. You can't reduce someone to by the things that they've experienced in their life or the many roles that maybe they have in their life. Um, you know, when you look at someone's Wikipedia bio and they have experienced a lot of things in their life, you know, they may be a published author, poet, entrepreneur, and then what's it going to say, sexual assault victim? Like, if that is something that is public domain, that's going to automatically be associated with them. Think about Dr. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford in the Brett Kavanaugh trial. Mm -hmm. I'm sure prior to her, I don't know if she had a Wikipedia page prior to the Brett Kavanaugh trial, but, or uh, confirmation hearing, but, so she had bios on various websites that she had, you know, like served on or boards she had led or, you know. Like, yeah, I believe, I don't know specifically, but I believe she was a psychology professor in, mm-hmm. in California. So that is always going to be a part of her identity now. 
identifying as a victim who experienced sexual assault perpetrated by Brett Kavanaugh. Now, it's always interesting, like, again, because of my training and because this is what I do on an everyday basis, even that sentence, right? Like, she is the person who experienced sexual assault perpetrated by Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. So I just in my, like, everyday life, personal and professional life, like, really try to just um, promote agency for other people and how they identify with different things and not reduce people to specific labels. I, I love that you do that. Um, you know, I also just as, as your friend, I, I know how you talk about people and, um, oftentimes it is in, in so much of a positive light as well. I've never heard you start off talking about somebody with some negative characteristic. Um, you know, it's just, I feel like maybe it's because we love the people in our life so much that like we are inter- <laughs> like connected by, but you know, like people we love, <laughs> we love. Yeah. Like, and, but I, I love that about you. Um, and kind of that, that's one of the things that I don't know how to talk about this stuff. <laughs> So I think probably a lot of people listening don't know how to talk about this stuff. Um, They talk about that. It's sad. They talk about that. It's scary. They talk about that. It makes them angry. And they maybe share a picture, you know, it's like, we're all kind of struggling. And as I was like preparing for this podcast, I was like, let me see what, if other people are better at saying this than I am, like, who can I quote, you know, when I'm talking to Emily so that I can sound somewhat educated. And what I realized is like, where do people go when these stories are being announced? They all go to the media, right? Like that everybody goes to like a lot of times, most of us still cable TV, cable news. And so I just thought like, what are some of these people saying? So I just like Googled some clips and what I realized is like, nobody fucking knows how to talk about this unless they're probably trained in it. Like you are like, I watched a clip on MSNBC. It was Alexi McCammond who is with Axios. Uh, She was talking about it. The first thing she mentions after saying that AOC admits to uh, a a sexual assault and and experiencing PTSD in the Capitol immediately goes to talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, immediately goes to the political impacts and the political consequences. And then I watched another interview on NBC with Leanne Caldwell. She is this, the, you know, the person who did this with a cap, a, a Capitol police officer, the, the police officer was the one who sort of triggered this. And she does later on admit that, you know, AOC is a survivor, but she starts with the, the, the kind of person who like, like sparked this, this sort of feeling in her of fear of, of what like brought her back to those moments. And then I was like, okay, MSNBC, NBC, you guys failed me. Let me go to the view. Like, I was like, let me, <laughs> let me just like try something totally different. I also never watched the view. So like Sunny on the view immediately starts talking about how she is, has worked with survivors and prosecuted perpetrators, but then immediately 30 seconds later, she is talking about Republicans and talking about like the um, like how this like all goes back to like the vote and Trump. And then the second person on the view does the same exact thing. And I'm just so frustrated because I felt like that is kind of how my reaction was a little bit too. And that's what I asked you. I was like, why is the first thing that I think about when I hear this information, oh, Republicans are going to destroy her for this. They're going to say that she's faking. They're going to say that she's acting. They're going to say that this is, you know, like, and, and turns out, of course, that's true as I'll share, you know, later on in this podcast. But I just thought like, what is it about me that makes me think about that? Not do what you and I just did is talk about how momentous and how important that is. We immediately go to people are going to treat her like shit. I'm so happy she was able to share this, but God. And I was just like, what is it about me, you know, that makes me think that way? 
it's about the culture of sexual assault. I'm not asking you to diagnose me. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that there's, I, I think that, that we are, and I think I, I think I said this to you, but like, we are conditioned to not believe people. We are conditioned to believe that people are making things up, that people are exaggerating things, that people want to do it for attention. And that is just not true. And it is very sad that that is what we have been um, told to believe or not believe about people. I also think that like, to make a, to make sexual violence and trauma political is ridiculous and absolutely um, not okay. I mean, I could go into talking about like funding and how Republicans versus Democrats, you know, want to cut funding for various things. Like I could easily venture into making it political, but I think just talking about sexual assault specifically and, and um, it not actually being about the person who was giving the Instagram live and now going to about Republicans or about Trump or about the Democratic Party as a whole. There was really no information about people who have experienced trauma or people who live with trauma or survivors of sexual assault specifically. And because those don't make news headlines, because those are not pieces where people can I think have an angle towards, and that's because there's no angle when it comes to trauma. You know what? I'm so happy that you said that in the way that you said it, because I, I was thinking, you know, I asked you what are some good, you know, recommendations and, and resources. Um, and you, you pointed out uh, rain. I don't know exactly what it stands for, but um, I'm sure we can figure that out. But the stat, you know, that you said they're always the most up-to-date and it's every, every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. And every nine minutes, that victim is a child. Meanwhile, only five out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. And that's like right at the top of their website, right? Mm-hmm. The most easily accessible thing. And I just thought if we could like find a way to start like news articles, uh, maybe, you know, start n- newscasts with the context by which this happens, you know, every 73 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes that victim is a child. Tonight we learned on an Instagram live from AOC, she is one of those people. This is a growing problem. Here is AOC's story. We're going to cover it for a second and then talk about the political implications of this too. I just thought like, it's like nobody either knows this information, cares to research it, or they're not allowed by the network execs to like actually make it a thing. And I just thought like how sad that we can't, the people who have the most power, the people who have the most exposure, most listeners, most watchers can't even contextualize this without immediately talking about Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, or what this means for fucking Jim Jordan in in Ohio. Nobody's, nobody's talking about AOC either. You know, it's like, it just becomes this like thing. And then all of a sudden we're talking about, is she lying? Is she telling the truth? And I'm just like, this is so fucked. Because it misses the point entirely. It misses the problem entirely. I mean, Rain is the nation's largest anti-sexual assault violence organization and has been around for years, but it does not make a lot of headlines. It maybe makes the beginning or the end credits of a television show that handles sexual assault um, or any type of abuse or incest that is mentioned. 
uh, there's definitely obviously been progress that is made as it relates to legislation and rights for victims, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. If the statistics associated with rape, abuse, and incest were, and child abuse specifically, were on the news every day, like the coronavirus coverage is, I think people would be a little bit more up in arms about it versus just it being silent. I I just hate, I hate, and again, like there is no answer, like you said, I, I don't expect you to have one. I just hate that we can't find ways to talk about this more. And maybe on another podcast at another time when you and I have had, had some time to do more research, we can brainstorm ways to talk about it more and, and kind of keep it up front. Um, because like, I didn't know how I knew it was bad. I also know that things are underreported, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so like, what are these numbers actually, uh, you know, like, does that account for, for things that are um, underreported, but uh, right. Like politics, why, why are we politicizing this? Like this affects everybody across the gambit, you know, um, it's horrible. I think um, one of the things that AOC had said was, um, and I can't remember specifically, but it was like, why are we making this a political problem? Like it's a human problem. Um, trauma is a human, is is an experience related to just uh, the human race. And I can't remember exactly what the quote is. I know she talks about trauma compounding as well. One of, one of the things that, you know, was, was kind of... Um, I saw quite a few people commenting and talking about and really being like, yes, you know, they were doing the this in all caps with a period, you know, like, um, was that trauma compounding, right? Um, And I don't remember what the exact quote was, but but AOC talked about how trauma and ignoring it compounds trauma and all this stuff um, when we don't address it and there's not, you know, accountability in a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that um, compounded trauma, if that's something you see with your clients a lot, um, or just other thoughts you have as it relates to compounded trauma. So I think the, um, I think when it thinks, when you think about, as she was speaking about it, like compounded trauma, it's basically the idea that when you have experienced a traumatic event or multiple traumatic events in your life, you could have totally healed from that trauma, which it sounds like AOC did the work on herself to heal from her sexual assault that she experienced. What's really important though, is that when a new trauma is introduced into your life, unexpectedly, as she spoke, you know, she reported that she thought it was over. She thought this was the moment that she was going to die, which if you read the DSM definition for PTSD, you have to experience an event where you, your actual threat of your life was, you, you feared that you were going to lose your life or you perceived that you were in danger of losing your life. So she meant that, mm-hmm. um, but by experiencing event, a new event or new trauma, your body remembers previous traumas that you have experienced. So those same pathways, that fight or flight response, that, that where she, ran out of the building and was running to places where she could or where she hid in the bathroom of her office that was not not in the moment not in the moment when she was I can't speak for AOC but based off of what I know about working with people with trauma not in the moment was it bringing up or resurfacing feelings of sexual assault or other things that she had experienced before in her life perhaps it's it's those, it's the recovery piece afterwards where when you, 
when you are no longer in that state of um, heightened fear where you are experiencing the feeling like your life was in danger, which hers very much so was. And she perceived that at that time when the Capitol police officer came to take her out of her office, you know, she said, I don't, I didn't know if this person was here to help us or to hurt us. Right. That was that, I mean, that was what a poignant statement for her to make as a side note, but that was, she was in a state of fear. And then afterwards she most likely was in a state of shock. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that your body, the way your physiology, basically it encodes a traumatic response and the things that you've experienced before other traumas that you've experienced, like your body remembers that. So once you, once you rip open kind of that, that survival system that you experienced when you had other traumatic experiences, doesn't matter how much years of therapy that you have had, it basically resurfaces and rips that open. Yeah, I've been sitting in here. Have you? Just go right back to sleep. So it's at this point in the podcast where um, Emily gets interrupted by her 95-year-old grandfather, Melvin. And um, we had an amazing conversation about him, his life, where he grew up in Maine. Um, and uh, I got to kind of meet him sort of for the first time in this way. So um, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, the rest of my conversation with Emily. I don't even remember where we ended. I would say you were talking to about that feeling of like, sometimes something can trigger you in that way. And it wipes away a lot of the work that you did, which is another reason why I feel like it is so important to honor the people who are telling the truth and to believe survivors. Because if you deny them, you're also sending them back to that place where if they worked on it for years, they probably thought, though, at that moment that it happened, no one is ever going to believe me that this happened. No one is ever going to think that this it, this actually happened to me. So all of us doubting that, like, is is even even more harmful to that survivor. The other thing, too, like, and I don't know that you'll have a good an answer for this, but it is on my mind. And it is something I think we can definitely talk more about at another time is like, I, I saw a couple comments uh, like an idiot. I was reading YouTube comments <laughs> and someone said, all boundaries, boundaries, right? Someone said bartender, Congresswoman, actress. And the, did the Be world like, feel my eye roll there? The world, the world felt it. I hate this planet. <laughs> and, <laughs> I hate this place. And I just thought, like, how do we fight these people in our life <laughs> that just assume women lie and men lie, that survivors lie, I should say. Like, because do these stories of people just acting or making up lies... Does it happen once in a blue moon <laughs> and then these people latch onto it? You know, like, is it a talking point that was amplified in response to me too? Like, again, not a political issue. It's like, but like people believing survivors 
like it, it, it feels like sometimes it's like oh, just being dramatic or oh, just this or it couldn't have been that bad or it couldn't have been it just frustrates me and like so i don't know what the truth is about the number of people who lie about being assaulted i have to imagine it is minimal because it's such a huge enormous thing to lie about I don't have the statistic either, but I believe it is minimal. I mean, it does exist. It right, does exist. Right. It is, it is, you know, it, it is known that people do lie about, they do file um, or make it, let's put it this way. People make accusations that are false. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And some States making a false uh, accusation of sexual assault is a crime. Um a plug for a, a phenomenally good limited series is unbelievable on Netflix, which looks at that. Oh, cool. Um, that sounds great. I don't know if you ever saw that. That was no, really no. good. It does happen. But my initial gut reaction to when you said, why do people do that? Is because people are in denial. People hmm. are absolutely in denial that this is a big issue. People are absolutely in denial that maybe they have experienced traumatic things or the people in their lives have experienced traumatic things. People try to otherize trauma or things that they don't believe exist. Um, And they are in denial of what is actually happening as someone who is a trauma therapist and someone who is just fairly passionate about, about therapy and about supporting people who've experienced trauma specifically the things that I enjoy for fun are probably not what most people enjoy for fun, but I think a really good example of looking at people's reactions and varying ways of experiencing and how they process violence. Look at the USA gymnastics team. Mm -hmm. Look at all of the people who Larry Nassar um, abused. I think that if you look at some prominent gymnasts, who had won several medals in Olympics. Some came out right away and reported that they were victims of sexual assault or they experienced sexual assault. Some um, all around or all around winners declined that that experience occurred or were attacking other people who had come forward. And I think that it, and then later have come forward and said that they too were also someone who experienced sexual assault perpetrated by Larry Nasser. And I think that that is just a really great, great is probably not the great word there, but that is just a really um, accurate look at how people deal with things in many different ways. Mm -hmm. People process things at different rates. And that I think, to answer your question about like, why do people do this? It's because people don't want, people are in disbelief that it would happen to them or that it could happen to someone that they're friends with or that it could happen to someone. Um, I mean, the thing that we know about perpetrators is that I believe the statistics are eight out of 10 or someone that you know when it comes to sexual assault. That is a statistic that I don't think a lot of people know or realize truly like how close to home it can be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. I think you painted a, a pretty effective picture there. I almost said good picture, but like just what you were saying, it's not great. It's not the right word. Accurate picture um, of the kind of challenges and, and nuance with some of this stuff too. Um, 
And another, a couple other things, you know, like uh, that I did a little bit of research on too, maybe it gives people some sort of, uh, you know, talking points back to their family members, you know, just things like what was the survivor doing when the crime occurred? You know, 48% of the time rain says they were sleeping or performing another activity at home. 29% were traveling to and from work or school or traveling to shop or run errands. 12% were working, 7% were attending school and 5% were doing an unknown or other activity. And that's really scary. Um, it's going about your everyday life and then all of a sudden this thing happens to you. Um, and I just think that... Um, and that is inherently victim blaming. Right, right. Like That statement of, say, asking the person who experienced sexual assault specifically, what were you wearing? Yeah. Why does it matter? I don't care if you were wearing a short skirt, sweatpants or pajamas. What was happening? What was, they don't ask the person who perpetrated violence. What were you wearing? Yeah. And it's, it's so wild to me. Like there's this conventional wisdom that's not grounded in any reality because people don't talk about it. And even though we think people talk about it because of things like me too, right? Like we think, we think that it's everywhere now. It's, it's not, <laughs> like it's, it's not. And, and if, and if it's any indication, MSNBC and NBC and, and the view, the way that I was like describing how they're handling it and, or how they were handling it um, on the clips that I watched, like it shows that we're not any better, you know, maybe we're, we, we try to be a little bit better, but it, maybe it's there, you know, there's more awareness. Maybe people really feel seen, but like, it, it's still terrible. It's, it's still victim blaming in a lot of these, you know, scenarios or like I, I watched a, a, a clip of Tucker Carlson and I, I, he's very difficult to watch. Um, and what he does is he starts off the segment talking about, American history and how Democrats are using American history against us by comparing this insurrection to 9-11, comparing this insurrection to terrorism and Al-Qaeda, comparing this to wars and genocides. And he goes on this long rant. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the 10-minute clip, he talks about AOC and the yeah, clip, what was the clip? What was how did that make? How were those? Those were like apples and chairs. Completely, and and it's just pure propaganda, and you have to look at it through that lens. He talks about how social media glamorizes some of these events, or or makes them worse by saying immediately all of a sudden people were saying that it was racist and, you know, that it, you know, was white supremacist, that it was terrorism and not just rioters and, and looters who were angry about the results of an election. And he says, you know, the, the, the Democrats jumped to race. One, we can talk about the Proud Boys being there, right? We can talk about the don't tread on me flags. We can talk about the QAnon symbols. We can talk about all of the things there that show that those people were white supremacists. We can talk about the fucking uh, noose that they built for Mike Pence. So Tucker Carlson, while he's talking about this and saying that it wasn't a white supremacist movement, it was a bad movement, but it wasn't, it wasn't grounded in any hatred for any race. He blames social media and the reality of where we live as people of the internet. And he says that AOC's 
recapping of what happens, never mentions the sexual assault, never once mentions the sexual assault because he's smart enough and Fox is smart enough to know that if they put that in there, if they mention the sexual assault, that people will feel compassion for her. So they pick these clips where it would appear she's rather theatrical or more theatrical than other parts where maybe she has her hands up or she's getting out of her chair. It's all cherry picked clips of this, right? At no point do you see the tears at no point do you hear her admitting that she's a survivor? Like, and he says that AOC's video is narcissism on parade and that this is the perfect symbol of a culture dying of self-involvement and people will believe this crap and some already do. So without mentioning that, you know, without talking about the assault at all or why she was making that video or the fact that she was experiencing trauma, he talks about narcissism and the internet. And it's a selfish young person using social media to spread lies about what was happening in the Capitol. And it just made me so angry. Like, because one, it has... No, it has nothing to do with what his monologue was about, right? But also, she starts off that entire Instagram live by saying there are other people who lost fingers, lost eyes. There were people who, you know, like were custodial workers. You know, there were people that were... Gen- She's talking about all these other people in the building. At no point is this moment about her. And at no point does Tucker Carlson take the moment to say also she admits to being sexually abused and that this was triggering for nose words did not come out of his mouth all of a sudden he just tries to devalue anything that comes out of her mouth with these perfectly cut clips that don't tell you the full story and then makes conjecture on them and it's just so frustrating that we as a society have no fucking clue how to talk about this how to how to treat survivors of sexual assault with any level of decency or respect, and that his show is the most viewed cable news show in America right now. So I don't know if you have any reaction to that, Emily, as I get off my soapbox, but but I just don't know what the fuck we do with these people. I don't know how the fuck we talk about this in a better way. I mean, it was, pro- it, it was propaganda. I mean, they, right. they, cookie, they edited the clips in a way that showed from her point of view and he's talking over her at some point and they're not necessarily I can't recall if they were in order but they were like you know they purposely caught off uh, cut off at certain points and one of the things that I think was really important and this is more towards the end of the video that that is or um her Instagram live but she talked about like she talked about how this was and she said this multiple times this was my account of events this was my account of what happened this is my account of what happened there are 435 members of congress is that what it is okay yeah, she was yeah. there 400 and <laughs> i think i think now i'm questioning it yeah <laughs> so she was like there this was the experience this was my experience there are 430 there are 435 different stories and i thought that that was just the mention of the number of that was incredibly powerful. And then thinking about all of the people who work in the Capitol, think about especially the black and brown members of yes. the like custodial staff and weights and mess staff and just um, all of the individuals who work at the Capitol just to keep the functions, the, the, the aides, the staffers, all of those the staffers who so- ran towards the electoral votes to protect them. 
what the yeah. fuck? Like she mentions all these people, right? Like not a not narcissist. Ab- absolutely. And also like, like to circle back to something that you said in the beginning, if Taco Carlson just called it what it was, which were people storming the Capitol and wanting to with, with the intent of killing people, just plainly just put it what it is. I don't care what your reasoning was. I don't care what what uh, religious or political affiliation that you have that's what it was just plainly put it what it is it was the fact that there were people who were storming the capital in hopes of killing people that that is exactly what it was um and he goes on to say something like that and then he says but they were going after the republicans they were saying hang mike pence this has nothing to do with aoc she's making it all about her like the let my my blood pressure but i think the thing you know the thing that makes me what i reflect on is you said that tucker carlson why can i not say his name tucker carlson he has the biggest ratings on facts uh biggest most watched cable news show in america evening cable news show in america okay so if you look at those statistics and then you think about how many households that is then break that into understanding how many of those people have most likely experienced trauma and then how many of those their family members or their quote supportive individuals in their life believe that their experience is invalid Mm -hmm. that is a lot of people yeah and that is what I think about when I think about propaganda and just basically sending the message of don't believe people who have experienced don't, don't believe people just don't believe them. They lied. They're actors. This is not true. And I think about all of the people who I have worked with who have experienced trauma and abuse and almost all of them said, either something to the effect of you're one of the only people that I've told you're the first person that's ever believed me or I was afraid of telling people because I didn't want to be believed and I think that when you are told that multiple multiple times through over the years of your career it just really like the weight of one's words and the power of believing someone they are just it just means so much. And I think that AOC kind of like going back to what she said during her live is that the experience of someone who has experienced the experience of someone who has experienced trauma is the fear that they will not be believed Mm -hmm. because for many people it could be unimaginable or it's, someone that they know or it's that didn't happen to you or that wasn't my experience of what happened I mean there's just so many different reasons why people aren't believed and I think me too kind of like got a little bit especially when it looked at like powerful people in powerful positions or people in positions of power but I think that it's incredibly important to obviously uh, believe victims and believe survivors But I also think one of the things just to kind of transition a little bit, which was incredibly powerful was, I mean, AOC is an incredibly intelligent, smart, eloquent individual. 
And when she experienced that traumatic event on the day of the insurrection, she was essentially ripped open and really kind of had to start beginning the healing process. And I think where that really started for her, which is such a vulnerable thing for her to share with us, was when Ayanna Presley, who she is close with, mm-hmm. said to her, what you just experienced was traumatic and you have to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it is so important for the people who we surround or the, the people that we surround ourselves with to listen to us and to hear us and to, in the situation where we're maybe not at our best or we just experienced something, to advocate for us and say, you really need to take care of yourself. And I think that that was, that was like what I wrote down and put multiple stars around when I, when I was watching, mm-hmm. because I feel like, um, you know, in my own personal life, obviously like it's kind of a, um, an occupational hazard, but I get like really deep with people, but I've talked to someone and, you know, I've had people in my life who have opened up about maybe an experience where consent was not involved. And I'll say to them, you, you realize that was sexual assault, right? Hmm. And they'll say to me, oh my God, I had no idea that that was what was happening. And, you know, we'll be able to process that. And so I think that that is this, that I'm just using that as an anecdotal experience, but I think that it's really important to have people in your life that are going to want to support you through everything that you experience and having those people, whether it be a therapist or a school counselor or a teacher at school or a parent or a coach or a friend or a coworker who's going to check in on you when you're, when, after you have experienced something and, and allow you the time and space to heal is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have kind of resources or organizations that you support um, or ones that you recommend to people, you know, for some of us who do have disposable income, something that we can support or ways we can learn more. You've mentioned a couple, you know, good ones already um, with that Netflix series. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if, if there's other ones that you could recommend off the top of your head to help victims, you know, um, to kind of, maybe there's ways to give them access to affordable counseling or something like that. I don't know. But um, if not, we can always post it in the show notes. So. Yeah. Um, I think that rain R A I N N.org is a great resource. It's the rape abuse and incest national network. I think that that is a great resource. Um, I think that being able to look at, I would encourage people, you, you know, when you ever have me on your podcast, I always push state and local. Yeah. So it's yeah. always important to look at what is your state and local? Um, what are protections in place for victims? Um, what, or what are, what protections are not in place for victims? For mm-hmm. example, when Betsy DeVos tried to roll back title nine. So I think that it's important to just look at what, um, and that comes down to the members that you um, vote for in your state and local elections. What do they, what, where are they going to allocate resources and funding to for communities? Um, I think that giving money or donating toiletries or any type of um, those extra freebies that you get in your 
in your subscription boxes. <laughs> you would like to donate, you know, things that you have to um, women's resource centers or domestic violence shelters, I think is incredibly important. Um, if you want to look into local chapters for um, child advocacy centers that support people who have experienced child abuse or sexual violence, um, I think looking into uh, always people who always need clothes after they've experienced a sexual assault and they um, go in for what they call processing, which is where they have a rape kit done and they're stripping yeah. up their clothing. So being able to um, provide any resources for your local, any local agencies, I think is always like my best, my biggest push. And then just looking at what, um, people that you can vote for that are going to support an agenda where they believe victims. Yeah. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, as we kind of close out the podcast, I know you said that there was a quote from uh, AOC's live that you wanted to share that you thought kind of put a nice button on it. Um, There's, there were so many quotes from her yeah. live <laughs> that I think I could quote, but this one I think has kind of gone around on social media, but I felt like it was incredibly important and it, and it says, and I hope that if you've experienced trauma in your life, I hope you know that you don't need to have experienced the worst or the biggest thing. If you've experienced something, talk to someone about it, acknowledge it in your heart. And I hope that you get the courage to do everything that you need to do to heal. And I felt like that was a good way to kind of end our podcast on a note of hope and healing and I think that it was, again, just incredibly powerful for her to acknowledge the importance of not only the things that she has experienced, the importance of taking the time from January 6th to now going on a live uh, almost a month later to give her the space and time to process and to just advocate for people to get the support that they need, whether that's within their own family or in their own you know, chosen family or to seek professional help. Uh, to really process the things that people have experienced. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining. Um, I think it's a super important topic. Um, and I, I'm glad it's one that I could do with someone who has experience in it. Not me just kind of dancing my way through it. So uh, Emily, I'm always grateful for when you join us here on let's unpack that. Um, but where can people join you? on your quest to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can find me on Instagram at Emily Kate says, and I, Paul and I have kind of an ongoing dialogue as it comes to trauma and any important questions or resources or topics that he would want to kind of delve in deeper. So we kind of have this like ongoing chat around things that we would always want to say like, Oh my gosh, that would be such a good podcast or we should podcast about that. Or I just want to hear your thoughts. So always open to hearing um, from people about things that are important to them. And I think it's important to lean into that discomfort. Agreed. Um, Is that a word? Is discomfort a word? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Well, this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Like Emily said, you can follow her on Instagram at Emily Kate says. Um, if you just go through my followers and search Emily, you'd probably see her or who I follow. Um, you, you'd see her. I don't know that she follows me back. No, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, but um, if if you you know liked this episode or found this episode impactful, maybe is a better phrase to use. Um, please leave us a like, a comment, rate, and review. Um, the more that you do that, the more that we can stand out against the other let's unpack that podcast out there and there are many um so again this was recorded um a few days after um aoc did her instagram live um but uh you know this is a special edition episode it's a conversation that needs to be ongoing so please slide into our dms if you have other ideas um emily we'll talk to you again soon thanks so much